Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Mueller, and welcome back to The Eric Mueller Show, the podcast where we explore what makes any successful person's inner clock tick. Today, I'm rocking the mic with a seasoned real estate and cryptocurrency hedge fund manager. Yes, you heard that correctly, a cryptocurrency hedge fund. Excited to learn more? Me too. Blake Templeton is the president and CEO of Boron Capital. He's responsible for the strategic direction of the company, and he also is responsible for capital markets activities and overall performance of the underlying investments. Fun fact, Blake has spent quality time with a man named Tony Robbins. You may have heard of him. Blake has kicked it with Tony in multiple countries, masterminding over world economics, investment fundamentals, and scaling businesses. He's a regular contributor and writer for Forbes as a member of their business council and is also a member of the Young Entrepreneurs Council. Blake has been featured as a financial expert in several news networks such as Business Week, CNBC, and Fox News. He's also been featured in business journals for his keen insight on how to protect and build wealth in emerging real estate markets. After listening to this episode, you'll be prepared to invest in alternative asset classes such as blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and two sectors of real estate. Blake is here to give you the insider track on how to produce strong returns on your cryptocurrency investments. Let's head on over to the interview. All right, so welcome back to The Eric Mueller Show, the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick. Welcome to the show, Blake Templeton. Hey, my privilege, Eric. I'm excited to do this, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. You're, you're you know, one of the first guests that really I feel like is is super into this crypto space, and, and we're happy to have you here, man. Well, it's a, it's an ever changing world. Um, I've realized that you know unconventional situations in our economy, uh, you know, beckon us to be good stewards with unconventional strategies. So, I look forward to sharing some of those today in crypto. Right, right. And you know what really stuck out to me when I first read your bio per se was cryptocurrency hedge fund. You know, so that I mean obviously traditional hedge fund m- most people are familiar with that. But would you just share like what exactly is the cryptocurrency hedge fund model or, or why is that unique to you know the space of investing as we know it right now? Yeah, it's a really rare breed right now. I'm glad you asked. Um for perspective, um right now Bitcoin you know, of the storehold of value sector, there's about 150 uh, trillion in market cap in total from real estate to art to gold. And Bitcoin is like 0.7% of that market cap. So it's so, so small. And the reason why is because the entire institutional investors, your financial wealth advisors, those guys can't invest into crypto yet because the regulations aren't set up for them yet. So to have a hedge fund that's not in that world that actually can, one, not only invest in crypto, but actually run a portfolio, an active campaign and and manage other people's money is very, very rare. And uh, that's what we do. So we never were in that market. So we're not regulated by what the institutions and the financial advisors are regulated by. and so we are um, regulated by the SEC outside of those worlds. And so this is like the best of both worlds where you're not only in crypto, but we always have a mission to outpace Bitcoin and um, you know, have had 
a track record of the last two years of uh, triple digit returns uh, to our investors. So it's a um, pretty incredible investment world. Right. Yeah. It's pro- proven to be a pretty successful model for you so far. And I think that's, you know, we'll probably see in, in the next five, 10 years or, or, you know, whenever the regulations come to what they want it to come to and they figure out how to how to handle this because cryptocurrency is is obviously not going away. And, you know, you mentioned Bitcoin, some other front runners and popular coins, Ethereum, you know, th- that I think at least those two seem to be somewhat safe. I mean, they're pretty volatile still, but are are you able to just describe a little bit, you know, boring capital? So, you know, the people listening have a little bit of an idea of of, of what you you do in that space with your company, Boring Capital, backbone of real estate, traditional real estate market investing. But what really prompted that shift into that alternative asset class being such a crucial point of one's portfolio? You know, looking into blockchain and cryptocurrency, trying to stay on the on the front end of of business so you can continue to provide those returns to your clients. Was there a turning point that you noticed that shift happen or, or, or I'd be curious to hear your answer? Yeah. So kind of big picture in real estate, uh, we've done 300 plus transactions and you know, we're always looking for scale, always looking for something bigger. How do you scale and how do you, um, how do you manage the upside better and the downside better? And how do you always have more sustainable income for your investors? And um so we've been looking at crypto for a long time and it, it actually grew legs in 2019 when all the adoption came in from your PayPal and your Square and some of your institutional guys like micro uh, strategies with uh, Michael Saylor and a lot of uh, then the high rail system happened where um, overnight, literally Visa, MasterCard, all these different um, customized Bitcoin credit cards or a debit cards came out where you and me could go to the restaurant, have our Bitcoin on the restaurant, go to the merchant count um, or excuse me, go to the counter, slide our card through the merchant system. And Bitcoin had this high rail system where it would transfer our Bitcoin into US dollar and we could literally utilize it. And it transformed everything and it and everything has completely shifted since then. And so we began the hedge fund uh, model in 2020 and um, the management uh, team has ran this um, with, you know, again, triple digit returns since then. And it's, it's so important. Um, the reason we got into it was because every single thing is moving digital and it's moving there before your very eyes. I mean, Back before we had debit card and credit card, which honestly was not that long ago, when we went to plastic, everyone was like freaking out. What do you do with it? How does it work? And now the adoption is so um, so so mature that grandma can literally take her plastic you know credit card out and slide it. She didn't have to know technology. She doesn't have to know why it's worth. Now grandma can tap her credit card on the merchant account. She doesn't have to understand anything. Well, all that's digital. And everything now is moving into the cryptocurrency world of digital. And it's transforming every single um, world of business on the um, utility side mm-hmm. um, from voting. So I guess you know, we can get into some of that stuff on the, on the blockchain side, but voting and title records and healthcare and wages and escrow and digital rights and e-commerce and student financial aid and intellectual property and 
um, derivatives. I mean, every single thing is moving onto the digital platforms in crypto. And so that's literally where everything was. And so we, we literally saw this as kind of the digital real estate, if you will. And uh, that's when we built the hedge fund. And, uh, and it's been a beautiful thing since. Yeah. Gosh, 2020. So, I mean, this this episode is being recorded in, in April of 22. So real, not that long ago. I mean, two years, I, I don't can't say when in 2020, you know, crypto really came into my mind, I think probably late 2020, early 21. But I think, it, I mean, it's great to be on the front lines of of that, you know, innovative space where it's it's moving that way. So you're, you know, you're skating to where the puck is going to be, which is huge um, in that in that business space. But how would you like to be that guy that like paid Bitcoin for pizza way back in the day when it was like, I mean, I, I can't say the exact price, but it was worth nowhere near what it is now. Yeah, no, no kidding. No kidding. And, you know, it's had a 20 million percent return since <laughs> yeah. um, since the beginning of Bitcoin, 20 million percent. And every year um, since um, since the very beginning in 2009, it's averaged a 200 percent rate of return. So that's the, that's the average growth every single year um, since the beginning. And when you look at something, if, if I if I was to like look you at your eye under a microscope, I would see the atoms and the electrons, and I would see your eye would look so volatile. I mean, like little blazes of fire, and the blood vessels would be you know going all different directions, and the atoms would be moving fast, and it would look so volatile, like so crazy, and the veins you know shooting out. But then as I like scoop back away from your eye and then I'm looking at you like in, in front of you, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's just just Eric's eye. And yeah. so uh, that's how one has to look at Bitcoin. You know, it's it's um, you don't look at it day to day or hour to hour because there's it's like it's like the adoption of a new entire industry of where everything's functionally going. And you look at the. If you step back and look 10,000 foot up, you know, it's going straight up and to the right. And so, um, and that comes down to the basic picture of how valuable cryptocurrency is. And especially the cryptocurrency that has a blockchain tied to it and it has utility on it and business is running on it, which um, that's really where the value is. A question that, that a lot of people probably have about cryptocurrency in general is, you know, they they obviously can see and look back on the data, the positive return that Bitcoin has has shown or maybe Ethereum or some, you know, popular coins. I, I usually focus on those main two, at least for my core investments in my portfolio. But how does one know how to pick those winning investments? Or, I mean, you know, the a lot of people are probably looking for the next Bitcoin, which it's anybody's best guess on if one, if one altcoin might do that. But what strategies have you found to be effective when, you know, comprising your hedge fund? Are there certain coins that you look for or how, what asset classes, if you're able to disclose that, do you, do you try to fill that portfolio with? Yeah. So there, now that's something we could go down this deep rabbit hole. And um, before I forget, I'll, I'll answer that and I'll give you um, a lot of meat on the bone. But for those of you who, who want to actually like go deep into that and really um, to invest, you want to like cut through all the camouflage and all the hype and the drama and the noise. You want to know exactly what you need to know and know what you don't need to know. Like there's 18,000 different cryptocurrencies. How do you know which is which and which one's good? And so um, I want to give you guys a, a free masterclass. And so the easiest way to get that 
if you'll just real quick pull out your cell phone and I want you to text the, an, um, the word invest. So text the word invest to the phone number 877-771-0615. Again, text the word invest to 877-771-0615. And I'll send you a free um, cryptocurrency masterclass. It's about two hours long. It's chock full of just cutting through all the noise and showing you how you can make money right now in crypto. So whether you want to invest with a hedge fund like me or you want to do it by yourself, by the end of it, you'll be good to go. Um, it is highly valuable. It's a private um, closed door event that we did and you're going to love it. So, um, but to answer your question, um, you know, it comes down to so how we run our investment firm is comes down to really three principles. And um, one is um, we're really big on like, you've got to have wisdom. Like, first of all, um, to cut through the noise, you have wisdom. And I would say it's, it's being directed by God and having like something outside of my scene, outside of my emotional eyes of what's all the drama around me. And then number two, really important is it's got to have um, digital, tangible value digital tangible value. So it's 18,000 cryptocurrencies. Matter of fact, Eric, you and I could build a cryptocurrency right now, not to say anybody would invest in it, but we could build this narrative you know, that we're so amazing. And maybe we take some pictures with influencers and maybe we get like $10 million in market cap because we're cool people, but it doesn't right. have any tangible value. There's nothing, you know, no utility. So we look at the back um, at the back office, if you will, of cryptocurrency. And out of the 18,000, there's probably only about 200 total out of 18,000 that actually have real, tangible, sustainable, durable utility. And by utility, um, it's like the businesses that are happening on the blockchain. So a good example is like my phone. Um, I've got an iPhone here and my iPhone is software. So someone might say, no, that's a, that's a phone. And, but, but it's software. The software creates the underwriting, the, the under um, the, the code for it to actually do the functions that it does. So it's software. So the iPhone is software. So we would look at Bitcoin as it's software. Someone might say, no, but it's currency, right? Don't you, can't you like use it? And you just talked about buying something. Yeah, it's currency, but it's software. The software is the code that makes it utilizable for currency. As the iPhone has a app store, we're going to call that a platform. So the iPhone has a platform with an app store. Bitcoin has a platform called a blockchain. And the iPhone has a platform called the App Store, and it has apps on it. So it has businesses. So if I open up my phone right now, I could look at all the little apps that I have on my, that I've purchased. And these are businesses. So it's maybe it's Trello, like a person, like a, um, an organization app for business, or it's my app called Slopes where I'm skiing in the mountains and it's showing me how fast I'm going in the elevation and Maybe it's my bank, you know, app, or it's, um, you know, 
different businesses that I've bought into, I've paid service fees for. Well, Bitcoin has a blockchain that has businesses like the apps on it, and they actually have utility. So we look at which ones, which cryptocurrencies have yet real utility. And some of them have great big, you know, visions, and then some of them actually have tangible utility. Now, it goes a step beyond that, because then we're looking at the velocity of the dollars, how many dollars, how much, how much money are people spending on or in those businesses? How much money is moving on the high rail system through those businesses? And so that's where the, you know, the different smart contracts and digital currency and record keeping and securities, all that, all those things are different apps and businesses. So I'll give you an example. Um, if like the entire real estate world from escrow to um, the warranty deed to liens, all that is being moved into cryptocurrency. It's being moved onto the blockchain where title records and all that can be held and stored in real time. So if I was going to buy a house from you, I wouldn't have to go pull title and go to the title company and have them take seven days to figure it all out. I could literally go to the blockchain and see the house that Eric is selling me has two liens because it's stored in the blockchain. It's, it's stored in accuracy in the title record. Then I could say, yeah, I'll pay those two liens off and I want to buy the house. Then I would wire my money through the smart contract in, in the cryptocurrency. So maybe we're doing on Ethereum's smart contract platform. And the money would go straight into the escrow because it's written code that says go into escrow. And then when we agree together, that money is sent directly to you. It pays those liens off. It clears the the cash of all those liens on the blockchain. And then it files the warranty deed under my name on the blockchain in the title record. And that's like all that's utility. So all the middleman fees in buying a house, all that would be done away with in the blockchain. And any fees that would be done through these services would be done through these services. So it creates massive accuracy. Voting would actually be done in the blockchain. Um, everyone who actually has a KYC and know your customer and identity um, will be voting. The the the, um, the presidential elections could be done on the blockchain with a hundred percent accuracy. And so, anyway, so we we go for for um, utility, and um, and we're looking then at the you know who actually created it. Why did they create it? What's the adoption? Um, how much uh, confidence in the market is there? Again, so all of those things have made us really successful because there's so much noise in the front side, the news, and so much drama that once you cut through all that, you can see that some coins have like a Doge coin has no utility. It's a meme coin. Um, and so it's not sustainable. It doesn't matter what large influencer backed it. As sooner or later, it'll actually go to zero because it actually holds no utility. That's like Beanie Babies, you know, like, you know, back in the day, Beanie Babies, you know, um, maybe it wasn't your Beanie Babies, Eric. Maybe it was your sisters. <laughs> but, you know, like it was like this 
thing. It was so powerful. Oh my gosh, everyone wants it in supply and demand. And you know, you're buying for $500 because it was a special collectives item. Now you go to a garage sale, that same one's 99 cents. You know, like it's like it's just a toy for a little kid now, you know. So um that's how we go about it. And um, and then we're actively managing it. So some coins hold narratives for a short term, some actually have utility for a long term, some try to start shifting their roles in the middle of it, and it's like, oh. Nope, not for us anymore because I can see what's happening behind the scenes. I can see the, um, the the transactions have gone down drastically. And so we we shift gears when we sell those coins before it's really publicly known that that's what's happening to the coin. Right. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I, I would I would guess you probably touch on a lot of those points in that masterclass that you'd mentioned. So I would strongly Absolutely. encourage yeah. everybody. Yeah. T- text invest. I-N-V-E-S-T. To the 877-771-0615. I'm certainly going to do that as well. I love learning everything I can about crypto. And I think the best way to learn is from people that have gone through the experience of, of the learning themselves and have that on hands practice. And, you know, a lot of you listening probably hold full-time jobs right now, as do I. And so it's kind of, it's kind of tough to, to learn as much as maybe you want to, even on a given day, but two hour masterclass, that sounds like a great deal. Sign me up. Like, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Something that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to was you mentioned the the digital real estate. So pretty much everything in cryptocurrency being that digital real estate space. I wanted to ask you, are we talking about the metaverse at all in the, in that conversation? So, you know, certain cryptocurrencies such as Decentraland, Sandbox, you know, you can, you can actually invest in plots of land. You know, basically you're purchasing an NFT. I want to get your thoughts on NFTs as well. But are you talking about that type of digital real estate at all? Yeah, it's a really good question. So as far as digital real estate, um, anything that's tangible has tangible value in the utility side would be um, would be digital real estate. Now, metaverse um, is obviously a virtual reality, and so it's, it's it'll end up becoming one might put it in the same you know category as cryptocurrency. As you mentioned, sandbox, like there's a few cryptocurrencies that are actually for it. It's actually in the blockchain for it, but it'll become its own little world of um, investing, if you will, um, in the metaverse. And as you know, um, you got massive companies actually buying the real estate as if one's actually going to be going into that space now and seeing KFC's sign and then going and buying more KFC. I think we're way early for that. I think we're way early for, um, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant idea, but we're way early in the sense of people going there, making their money there, and then thinking they're going to go into the real world to go spend money in the places that is in that world. And the main thing is this, what we're missing is that, Inflation right now is 15%. So the Fed on the M1 money supply chart, it shows the inflation rate since the beginning of 1971 when we got off the gold standard and started printing money, you know, beyond our abilities to maintain its um, sustainability. Um, so, So the the more money we print, 
the more it dilutes the dollar. In the last 24 months, here's the problem of why I'm saying like the metaverse, it's, it's, we're, we're way early. Sure. There'll have to be something else that'll have to happen to make that even make sense um, for the globe to actually jump into the metaverse. <laughs> um, and that is in the last 24 months, the Fed has printed 35.7% of all money in the money supply. So all money in the supply over the last you know, 50 plus years, once we got off the gold standard, was printed in the last 24 months. Why? Because we were so upside down before COVID, the velocity, if we were like, if, if, if the country was the Avengers, um, you know, spaceship in the sky and, you know, the Avengers had these four, you know, uh, fans or things that spun that kept the spaceship in the air and, you know, the bad guys shoot down one of them and it's kind of like shifting back and forth in the sky and they've got to, then Iron Man's got to like, you know, go and spin the fan to keep it going. You know, it's like, if the U.S. was that, the U.S. was falling as a spaceship this entire time before COVID. Like they didn't have velocity; that the fans weren't moving fast enough, the propellers weren't moving fast enough. So then, when COVID happens and they decided to shut everything down, they're like, "Oh, the whole entire country is going to implode. We're going to crash. So let's let's create new, you know, fake fans and push the country back up into the air as a spaceship." All that to say is that's the 35.7. That's more than a third of all the money in the money supply was printed in the last 24 months. That literally sent us into hyperinflation. So some are still, you know, with their hand, their head in the sand and saying, oh, we're at 2% inflation. Well, obviously, if you've gone to the store, you can obviously testify that that's not the case. Real inflation right now is somewhere in the ballpark of 15%. Okay, what does that really mean? It means Joe, who makes fifty thousand a year, who is living dated you know month to month on the paycheck, every single month, you know, he was making say forty, you know, or uh, four thousand a month. He's literally going to have fifteen percent less buying power. Matter of fact, it's a little over one percent a month he's losing. So. He's already a month, a month on the paycheck. He doesn't have the ability to go into the metaverse to go, you know, get the dopamine hits and, and stay in that world and then go functionally go buy everything outside of there. And he definitely can't just stay in there because he has physical body parts that he has to, you know, feed and eat, 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 sleep and poop. You know, he's got to go do those things outside the metaverse. So big picture is, um, the metaverse is really built for the mindset that there's people with a lot of money going into that world, and they will have to find out how not only can you make money, there's obviously ways you can make money in the metaverse, not just flipping real estate and stuff, but you can actually, um, you know, be in some, be in someone's game making money, um, but you can't make money fast enough to actually pay, pay your real, your real world bills um, when you're living month to month on paycheck, which is i.e. most of the country. So the big place where the money's made right now is in the cryptocurrencies 
that actually have utility and then, you know, knowing which ones to actually hold. And this is where the massive, massive value is. Um, matter of fact, back in, back in, uh, back 10 years, uh, excuse me, back in 2009, check this out. In 2009, this just shows you where Bitcoin is gone. So if you would have, if you would have had Bitcoin, if you had $100, just $100, and you put that in Bitcoin back in 2009, you would have 9.2 million in value in Bitcoin. It's astronomical. $100. So to give you a, a picture of perspective, if you had $100 in 2009 and you put it into Amazon, you'd have 3000 300. If you put 100 into Apple back in 09, today you would have 2,400. If you put it into Visa as a business, as an investment, you'd have one, as a stock, you'd have 1,700. If you put it in Microsoft, you'd have 1,000. Um, Facebook, you'd have 520. Uh, Walmart, 271. You put $100 into Bitcoin, you'd have 9.2 million. It's the, it's the fastest growing thing in uh, performance. So that's what we do as a hedge fund with all the currencies that we hold in the hedge fund. Typically, it's only six or seven. And, um, and that's, anyway, to your question of, you know, how do you find them and why do you go with, with the ones you go with? That's kind of the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. I think, because I think that's the biggest question people have is just, you know, to, to have the foresight of what, what is going to be the ones that grow. And I mean, I, I at least from what I've read and, and believe in, I, I think Ethereum is a great investment right now. I read something recently that, that showed it, it might even be undervalued in a big way right now. Some projections were thinking it, it could be worth around $6,000 per coin. Right now, it's about, it's about 3400 at least last I checked tonight. But I think, yes, I, I appreciate you saying that, Blake. And I think, you know, a lot of people that, that are interested in cryptocurrency would, would benefit from, from learning from you, you further in, in, in that space. So hopefully people check that masterclass out. I hope that doesn't, you know, I don't want to harp on that too much, but I really do think that you're providing something that's valuable there. That is, is no charge to, to my listeners and that I appreciate that. I yeah, do absolutely. have a question. Yes. I, I do have a question on NFTs just broadly, you know, just like a 60 second view of them. Yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Cause they, I mean, they date back to, to 2014, but they only recently soared into the mainstream, like last year, basically 2021. So what, what are your thoughts on that as an investment? Yeah. Um, so it, it's so interesting. So I'll, I would, I would coin it, no pun intended, um, to very much like um, where my stand on cryptocurrency in the stance of it's different than the metaverse. Um, metaverse still has time. There's still, you know, things that have to get hashed out for that to be a mature place for, for monies and um, viable you know, viability, but NFTs, there's so much that can be done with them, um, and what can be come an NFT. And you can take a piece of real estate and you know break a piece of real estate into an NFT and sell shares of that NFT. Um, and so, literally tying it directly to the physical real estate, the warranty deed can literally be tied to an NFT. And we could all share in this ownership of that real estate. Um, obviously, it could be a simple picture of something and it has a supply and demand to it because it's a, a one original custom picture. And there is a 
a group of people who are so far bent in where they have taken their mental frameworks of value of that type of piece of art. There's no, um, there's no way one's going to um, de-persuade them. So that in itself has its own adoption of a massive targeted market. Um, there's so many different directions NFTs can go, and I believe will go. Um, we'll we'll find out. You know, the farther we get into, um, you know, 2022 and 2023 of of how creative they'll they'll become, and some 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 NFT strategies will die off, but others. Um, I think there's some even of the among the uber wealthy that'll be massive. So some are like um, a yacht can be again turned into an NFT, and it and you're literally buying access to the club. Yeah. And um, and so in those those models, um, who it you know obviously depends who's actually running it, and you know flows through the same type of um, mindset of, of how we actually pick our cryptocurrency. Um, but you know, in short, yes, that's my instant thoughts. Now it's, it's, um, it, you would analyze it the same way. So market cap, so for a coin to be, you know, market cap circulation, um, supply, um, the max supply utility transactions per day, transaction speeds, you know, number of wallets holding said coin, the team backing it. And in a certain way, you'd look at the same um, optics and metrics on NFT. Okay. Yeah. I figured it'd probably be pretty similar in terms of the principles that you'd use to invest in them. So yeah, thank, thank you for that answer, sir. I am thinking that this would probably be a good place to just talk about really the core focus of, of the podcast itself here. So the Eric Mueller show, I really started it to, to look at successful individuals like yourself and find out what makes you tick, find out what keeps you driven. Obviously there's measurable ways to define success. But there's also kind of an intangible way to define it as well. So I want to ask you, Blake, what is your definition of success right now? You could obviously tie it metrically to, you know, the return that you make on a given investment. A three-digit return for your clients is, is a win. But is there, is there a deeper definition that, you know, more of an abstract definition for you in terms of what success means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, my calling, my identity aligned with my calling, my purpose, my vision that I believe has been set out for my life. One can make a ton of money and um, it's easy to make money. It's hard to keep money. But the realization is, is at the end of my life, that wasn't even my purpose. That was just a vehicle that could be utilized um, in my purpose. And so, um, yeah, I feel my purpose is um, to have a piece of change in the world, to actually have a dynamic um, and not a ripple in the water. I hear so many people say like, you know, but if I brought, if I saved one person, you know, my life would be worth it. I'm like, that's a one for one. I am so much more capable than that. Like I would, I could do that by just saving a lady who's going across the street, who's going to get hit by the bus. I could be a, you know, a, a dung doing nothing my whole life and then just see the lady and run across there and save her. And that's a one for one. I, you know, no, I want to live on the cutting edge of the best of the best me um, escaping the uh, what I'd call the natural condition of man where people fall asleep and become a machine, like cutting ties with average, uh, stretching my capacity for 
one for me personally, more intimacy with my creator, God, who actually, I believe runs my actual purpose. And then like defying the odds, setting new standards, like um, owning the domain I walk into, um, canceling the, the negativity around me, transforming it by my own words, being the leader that no one else is. And um, for me personally, it's like, I believe that what, what I'm called to be and all the things I'm to create and transform and mold and shape and heal and solve, like I had to go through all the things in business to get to where I'm at now. And the things in business I'm still doing are like the things that are stretching capacity to be able to do more of that. So for me to, to define success is like being able to say that at the end of my life, I've given my everything and that he's, that God's well-pleased. Like he actually, like, might sound funny, but it's like, I want to melt God's heart. I want to actually be the one who he's like, man, that's the one who like lived the purpose and the calling and like transformed people how I would have wanted everyone to like that. That is, you know, pleasure to him. So anyway, that's, um, and that's a different perspective. And it, I, it's, it's one of those like salmon swimming upstream kind of things, like never getting stuck in average and, um, and realizing that um, there's always a better version of myself in front of me. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful definition. And, and you know, you're a God believing Christian as am I. I, I do have a lot of, you know, those similar feelings as far as you want to do what's, what's right and good for the greater good of humanity as well as yourself. And so I think, to just not get trapped in that selfish, egotistical mindset of, I want to obtain this for me, me, me. You know, probably everybody listening has at least one friend or family members that they also care about. So you'd want to like extend that goodness to, to other people. So I think yeah. that's, a, I think that's a great definition. And to take it just one step further, what are you able to nail that down to like one driving force or, or like a, you know, just kind of a, a definition of the the force that keeps you pushing towards the success. So you don't want to be average, like you mentioned, Blake. You don't want to not realize your full potential or become complacent. But are you able to kind of pinpoint why you continue to push for yeah. that cutting edge that you strive for? Yeah, absolutely. And it's this. Um, it's this belief that every single person, so not just me, but everyone, but I'm, I'm talking to myself because that's who we're talking about. I'm so valuable to my purpose. Like I'm so valuable. The enemy actually knows the purpose God's given me. The enemy is threatened. And then understanding the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is simply having a fear of being out of God's presence, being out of his favor, his protection, his provision, like all the things that would help me get to this purpose. So realizing the enemy is here to destroy me, God's here to provide, protect, give me joy, and actually see my future to his end. And this is the, what, what keeps me moving forward because I've got to actually, the fear of the Lord is also to hate the enemy. So it's like everyone's been taught, don't hate anything, you know, love all things. No, I'm not to love the enemy. I'm to hate the enemy because God hates the enemy. So that changes everything. It's this clear picture that I'm to literally hate the enemy who is trying to destroy everyone, who's to steal their dreams, kill their soul, and you know, um, and destroy their legacy. 
So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate the enemy himself. And then I'm to literally like build this massive leverage to where I'm going and this deep conviction more every day and every way I'm getting stronger and stronger to my purpose, my pursuit, my, my hunger, my drive. And it's not about the money in the firm or the amount of assets under management or um, that's just a byproduct of having the discipline for conviction. Um, but yeah, that's what keeps me motivated. That's what keeps me from being that natural condition of man where you fall asleep and become a machine is realizing that the enemy is continually going to attack. So I've got to actually fortify myself and attack him and then run toward the, that greatness um, ongoing. Yeah. It's like, it's like consistently just being on like an active defense of like continually improving yourself is, is the way to avoid falling into the trap of, you know, just put it into a, a worldly example of, of falling off your exercise routine and gaining weight or sure. spending too much money irresponsibly and not saving for your kid's college or something. Right. So I think, yeah, if you, if you fall into that, you know, don't even want to say average mindset, but, you know, probably just a human like mindset of where we're kind of trained and innate to, to become comfortable with where we're at. And so to push past that, and I, I love how you, how you stated that in terms of how you do that, but to be able to push past that and maintain that motivation you probably realize potential that that you never thought you initially had. So I, oh, it's I think so that, true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's superb, and and we can also do that with our investments. You know, you can use that 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 same strategy to push yourself further and invest better, and you can use that that tool. At least what I look at, you know, financial independence and and achieving that in my life, it's to get more time to do what I want to do and to spend more time with with the people that I love and do more good in the world. So I think. Blake, I mean, I really appreciate having having you on the podcast, learning about cryptocurrency. I think everyone would would you know be well intended if the, you check out that that masterclass, and definitely I'll tag that in the show notes. Blake also has a podcast himself called The Solomon Investor. I think there's some. I'll, I'll leave that there because I think there's some really unique principles of your show that really tie into you know basically your faith and your and your passion for for being you know chasing what God has set you out to do in the world. So I'll leave that there as kind of a teaser if anybody wants to check out his show, The Solomon Investor. And Blake, man, thank you so much for being on the Eric Mueller Show, man. I, I, I hope we can continue to follow your journey and, and see the great things you'll do with Boron Capital and beyond. Hey, I greatly appreciate that. You're, uh, you're really good at asking questions. So you, um, you extract greatness. And that, I think, is not only fantastic for your listeners, but um, it's a joy to be on this side of the podcast uh, with your questions. So I appreciate you, man. I look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Blake. You have a great day, man.